that uh, God would just minister and speak to us today. It, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a review for people that were there last Sunday. But, you know, I just want you to have a freedom as God is speaking to you. Don't hang on my words, but if you need to check out when he's prompting something that's really resonating with you, go ahead and let him use that time to really minister to you because... Um, it's not so much eloquence or logic as much as it is what God has to say to you today. Because uh, we've all kind of come in from all different places, all different parts of the, <laughs> of the nation, you know, in, in some respects. And so we find ourselves in different places. And so um, God is a God that's extremely creative, and he can use a message maybe delivered for one purpose, for whatever purposes he has. And so that's what I would pray for each of us today as we as we look at this um, passage in Luke chapter 16 uh, again and maybe going on a little bit farther but it's all Greg's fault because he's kind of the one that got this started in the 14th chapter of Luke uh, a few weeks back and uh, talking about uh, discipleship and being a disciple and what it meant to be a disciple and just as I've meditated on that and kind of read forward for the next two or three chapters, you know, uh, it's interesting, Jesus, I mean, God says his ways are not our ways, and it's not because Jesus has a large, large crowd following him at the end of chapter 14, and then he lays out this very hard plan of what it takes to become a disciple. You know, I mean, there's a relational priority that, measures that relation of hate against love if you want to look at the comparison there. There's a, a, a counting of the cost. You want to be my disciple? Well, you better count the cost. And, you know, it's like um, if a man goes out and decides he wants to build a tower, but he doesn't count the cost, then, you know, people are going to make fun of him. You know, if, if a person starts out, um, you know, like a, and then he gives the example of this king, you know, who realizes, I'm outnumbered. Um, I need to make peace. And so, if you want to be a disciple, you better make peace with King Jesus. If you want to be a disciple, all it's going to cost you is to give up all your possessions. I mean, these are kind of hard words for, for us all to hear in, in the land of mammon that we live in. And then he makes that interesting statement at the end about... Um, you know, if salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? And, you know, I just think about the time that many of you have just come through. Is there ever a time when a person is more salty or more light than when they walk through a, an experience of the death of a loved one? If you're salty, that saltiness is going to show forth in that time as much as any. And if you have light within you, and it's the true light, that's when it really shines. And it shines from the people that have passed on in that particular time. And so, you know, as, I, as I've looked at that, and then as you look at the next chapter, chapter 15, it's like, here's what, it, here's what it takes to be a disciple. Okay, guys, all you people that are following me. And then he, then he kind of lays out um, what the heart of a disciple should be because he, he gives these three parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son to show us who he is. He's one who seeks the lost. And not only does he seek the lost, 
He is a God that rejoices when someone repents. And he's saying, okay, you want to be my disciple? Then here's your mission. Seek the lost with me. And so that's our mission. But then there's also the whole process of discipleship. And so the next three parables in chapter 16 and 17 deal with um, what, it, what a discipleship, how a discipleship acts and behaves and, and how they are a steward of their materials and time. And we looked at the um, story about the unrighteous steward last Sunday. It's got some fairly uh, interesting uh, verses in it. Uh, I uh, think that what we really have there is kind of a contrasting story that uses a negative example to tell us a positive truth. And so what, what is the truth out of the unrighteous steward? You know, I, I kind of gleaned that we had three things from that. One is that we're to be shrewd. Shrewd, not in a wicked and malicious way, but with righteous methods. We should be wise and prudent with the wealth, the riches, the money that God has given us. We are to learn to seize opportunity like the sons of this age have learned to do. In other words, we should see opportunities to extend the kingdom of God and work together to see that happen. We should realize that we're stewards. Now, if Jesus says, to be my disciple, you must give up all your possessions, then I'm not really supposed to own anything at that point, am I? I'm now a steward of things that I've given over to him. You see? And I think that's the challenge. I know it's a challenge for me personally. I was telling my brother David last night. I think this is about the fifth time God's reminded me of this in maybe the last 20 years. You're steward, Preston. It's not yours. You know, because it's easy to take ownership of that stuff and instead of instead of really realizing that it's all available for God's use. And then the last thing that I felt like, you know, he, he, he says you cannot serve God in mammon. You know, the very last part of that, that um, story, which, you know, we don't really remember it from the unrighteous steward. We remember it from the Sermon on the Mount. You know, where it's in the sixth chapter, it talks about where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And then it has this kind of connector verse that talks about the eye. All you people are remembering this, I'm sure. So um, so it talks about your eye being clear or your eye not being clear or having a bad eye. And then it talks about can't serve God and mammon. And so we looked at how does the eye play into that, you know, because... The same phrase is used in the parable about um, the master goes out and hires people in the morning and then they work all day and they come in for their wages. And then he goes back out and he hires people at lunchtime. They work from lunch to dinner and get, and then they line up for wages. And then right before dinner time, he goes out and hires other people and they line up for their money. And all of a sudden, they're all getting the same thing. And the people that worked all day don't like that. Do you like that? And, and so it says, who are you to tell me how I should use my money? If I want to you know, be a blessing to that person, is your eye envious? So it's the same phrase as, as having a bad eye. And what, what that is is a, is, is a phrase of 
If my eye is bad, then I really don't see the generosity of God. I don't see the grace of God that works in somebody else's life. But, you know, I resent that. And that's not the way he's called us to be as, as his disciples. And so he kind of ends that whole story about the unrighteous steward with that. Well, it's kind of interesting what happens next, and that's where we're going to start reading in um, Luke 16, I think it's verse 14. 1614. It says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. Scoffing. Greg, what's scoffing? Making fun of. Can you do can you show us what scoffing's like? <laughs> there you go. See? <laughs> Now, now, some of your Bibles might say sneering. Does anybody's Bible say sneering? Okay. Show a sneering, Carol. What does sneering look like? Looking down on somebody. Looking down. Kind of haughty looking down on somebody. So, here are these guys, lovers of money, scoffing and sneering at Jesus. Why do you think they're doing that? Because they love money. They love money. And they're looking at... Here's a poor man teaching poor people about money, you know. So it's like, what does he know about money? You know, he's barely got one, one piece of clothing, you know. No, no place to lay his head, you know. And so they're lovers of money, and they're scoffing at what he said that you can't serve God and mammon because any good Pharisee knows that you can. Right? And he said to them... <coughs> You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. But that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John since, the time, since that time the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And who who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. A very interesting passage. Um, So Jesus responds to these guys that are lovers of money. And, he, said, and he, he says two things to them. You justify yourselves by outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. And he said the reason you justify yourself that way is because you have rejected the law and the prophets and the revelation of the scriptures. Um, and so that, that's, that's his judgment against lovers of money. It's interesting. This is an interesting verse. This one, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. The verse has always been troubling to me. What in the world does that mean? Everyone's forcing his way into it, and. 
I have gone back and forth five or six times about what it actually means. So I am open for some commentary here. But it all seems to, to me to depend on who everyone is talking about. Is it talking about everyone? All the people? Or is it talking about everyone, the Pharisees? Because if it's talking about everyone, the Pharisees, then they're basically trying to force their way into heaven around the law and the prophets. Now they've, set a, they've set a standard of, of, of being righteous that's based on outward appearance. And so they're forcing their way in around what God says when he says the word, when Jesus says, but not, not even one little bit of the law is going to fail. But it also can mean um, that everyone, all the people have seen that they're a bunch of legalists and they realize that that's what they are and they're just going around the teachings of the Pharisees and listening to what one who has authority actually is speaking. Take it for what it's worth. I'm not sure which way it goes because I'm not a Greek scholar and I don't know who everyone's... Uh, Referring to, do you have any insight on that at this point? I, I attempted to think that it's referring. Yeah, because it's it's interesting because of the but, but the law and the prophets are not going to fail. And so look, and and you know, unfortunately, we tend to kind of have to guard ourselves against the same thing. We judge by what our eye sees and our ear hears. Not necessarily with righteous judgment. Not necessarily can we see one another's hearts. And so we've been trained to judge that way, you know, rather than what the Word of God says. And so, you know, that's the judgment. And then this last verse about um, marriage and divorce is basically Jesus just giving it. Here's an example of the law that you guys abuse terribly much in the way that you administer how easy it is to get out of it. And so he just lays that out as an example. What's interesting is this next um, story that he tells about the rich man and Lazarus. And so let's read through that together and then I'm going to make a few comments about that particular story. Now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus, which his name means one who God helps, is the only parable that a person's name is mentioned in. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And the rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus 
so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. Kind of still saw Lazarus as a servant still in this situation. Send him over here. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he, Lazarus, is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And then the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. There's a couple of interesting things about this story. I mean, there are lots of messages out there about the afterlife and what you can and can't see and do and where you can go and where you can't go. But the point of the story really is Jesus is just telling a story that reemphasizes what he's already judged of the Pharisees there. A uh, couple of things about it, because lovers of money also gives position and power. In that day, if you had money, you were powerful, and you had some position some, somehow in society. And so even, even the disciples, the general thought was, <clears throat> if you're wealthy, then God's favor rests on you. And basically that's one of the things that Jesus is trying to dispel here. Um, just because you're wealthy doesn't mean God's favor is on you, and just because you're poor doesn't mean his judgment lies on you. Neither one is a criteria for for being saved. And so he just kind of lays that out in the first part of this. And then also notice that the the rich man who did he call Abraham? Father. So look, I'm I'm related to Abraham. I'm going to get in just because of lineage. No. It's not by birthright either. Guys, you know, it's kind of subtly in there that uh, he's dispelling that too. It's, you know, there's no grandchildren. There's only sons and daughters, you know, in, in God's kingdom. And then lastly is that it's just the Word of God. The, the Word of God and how you respond to it has everything to do with not only becoming a disciple but salvation. And so Jesus is saying, look, you guys judge by what's outward, 
But the Word of God judges the heart. And you've rejected the Word of God, but it's the only thing that really matters and is the only thing that as you believe and obey it, it's a sign that you believe in God and trust in Him. Well, you know, this is kind of interesting because this is the, the second parable. The first one tells us kind of how to use money. You know, use it for opportunities. You know, for extending the kingdom of God. And this one kind of tells us how not to use money. Because uh, one of the things that the Pharisees, in which I think our nation, you know, our nation is very mammon-oriented. We're very much about stuff. You know, we got stuff marks everywhere. I think, Bill, isn't that what you call big boxes? Stuff marks? Stuff marks. Stuff marks. You know, and so we can get carried along in the same same thing. As, uh, there's this anxiety of running after things. We need the next thing. What it, you know, is it is it a? Of course, I'd like to have one. You know, an iPod, an iPhone, i five, and you know, it's whatever the next thing is. We need one because our our nation is just this big marketing giant that plays into the fallen nature of man. And so, one of the things that we have to guard ourselves against is this anxiously, you know, got to have the next thing, running after things. And then the other thing that the that this rich man did, he was, if I can use the word, he was numb. He was numb to the needs of somebody. He basically had to step over to go about his business. Wow. And we can be numb. We can just be so much into our world that we're, you know, we miss... Uh, we have what do we have? We have one Sunday we re- we remember our persecuted brothers and sisters. Well, <laughs> we should remember them more than one Sunday. You know, I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody, um, and you know we need to be aware of people in our neighborhood. Um, it's easy to just be numb, you know, to to the needs around us. Now we can be, also we can get overwhelmed by that, you know, because Jesus said. You're going to have the poor with you all the time. And so, you, you can give, we can give all our money for that stuff. And it's barely going to make a difference. So it's a matter of hearing God's voice and being sensitive to who He's saying not to be known to. And then the other thing is, in our, in our society, is we kind, of, we kind of have a foot in both worlds. You know, it's easy to walk with one foot serving mammon and another foot serving God. And so we kind of get this split consciousness about, okay, I think I think this is doable. I think I can have two masters. But what happens is um, we have to have a value system that works in both of them. And so you've got to have a vision for the mammon side and a vision for God, but the vision for the mammon side needs to sit under God's mission. Does that make sense? You know, it's not just there for our use and our enjoyment and our happiness. Yes, He wants us to be, you know, enjoy the blessings He's given us. But the vision has to be that, while we're all about bringing glory to God, which is His heart is to seek the lost, so must mine be, Yes, he, I need to equip myself in whatever way that might be. Does that mean that we all need to go out and get some, some shack somewhere? 
No. A home like this is a place of hospitality. It's a place to bring people. It's a place for Arthur's group to come and enjoy the blessings that, you know, Greg and Pat share. So, you know, I'm not talking about condemnation here, but I'm talking about a wise and prudent use of what we've been given for uh, seeing people, you know, brought into the kingdom of God. You know, and so I just really felt like I wanted to encourage us in that. I know for me, it's just like, you know, one of these days I might retire. I don't know. I enjoy working. (laughs) But at the same time, I know that the next parable is about the slaves who've worked all day and they come in, you know, and they are, are they expected to sit down and let their master feed them? No, it says go get cleaned up and serve your master. And so I'm also a steward of my time, you know. And so he just hits these important things of our life, you know. Um, God looks at wealth as a little thing. It says he who is faithful in little things can be faithful in much, and who who is unrighteous in little things will be unrighteous in much. And so he's talking about possessions. And so, you know, I'm looking at that. Well, is it a little thing to me? Or is it a big thing to me? But if you read it to God in light of eternity, it's not a little thing. It's a very little thing. It's what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and so much, we want to make such a big deal about it. Does that mean that we're supposed to be casual, indifferent, slothful with it? No. But what it does... The, the big thing is how we use it. What it is in and of itself is a very little thing in light of eternity. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, for me, I'm trying to reassess this and remind myself of this truth and begin to be more, of, more releasing of my time and, 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 and the things that God has given me. And I just feel like, you know, He's encouraging us all in the same way. Are we going to meet from house to house for the rest of our life as a church? I don't know. But I think among us, God has blessed us so much with, with you know, the wisdom from the Scriptures, from the blessings of here in the earth, and more and more of us are get, hopefully having more and more time as we kind of get a little bit older. That what's what's he what's he doing? What's he going to do with all that? You know, we if we learn to work together, what can we do for the kingdom of God? Um, you know, it, and then it, you know it goes on and it talks about you know if if you if you can't be faithful with something that's another's talking about our possessions, then who's going to give you true riches? Well, well, what would true riches be? Is that something in the next life? Stuff we get to manage in heaven? But there are some true riches that are eternal. And what are they? Right here and now. People and the Word of God. So, you know, it says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. No one can take this away from us if it's hidden in our hearts. The challenge is to not let other things take priority in our hearts. And so I just, 
you know, I just really trust that, that God continues to work with me and I hope us as a fellowship to be able to walk in a place with an attitude and a heart of, of a steward and at the same time to be very shrewd with the things he's given us and learn how to, to marshal ourselves together for whatever his purposes are. Because he has given us true riches. You know, he brings people into our lives and he's given us this precious word of God to hide in our heart. And so I just really want to encourage you, don't neglect the scriptures and keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, you know, I'm just reminded here as, as I'm finishing that, um, you know, one of the, I think, yeah, it's John. It's John that ends his, one of his epistles, I don't know if it's first or second John, but he's, it's just very simple. Children, keep yourself from idols. That's a pretty simple little command. You know, and it's just by the grace of God, when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our eyes will be clear. We'll understand and see not only His grace and His generosity towards me, but we'll be able to rejoice when we see that in other people instead of being resentful about that particular thing. So, let's just pray. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us your precious word. Lord, what a blessing, what a gift, what, what a treasure that you give us not only stories, but your story from beginning to end. Lord, enough that, that will fill our lifetime of trying to understand and know you better. And learn to, to really think your thoughts and to really act out in your ways, Father. I pray you would continue to bless us with your grace, Father, with wisdom. Uh, Lord, that we would be wise as serpents and innocent as doves in this land that we find ourselves. We just want to give ourselves to you. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your name lifted up and to see you be glorified. In Jesus' name.